Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, the Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Thanks for listening to episode 147 of the Average Cheese Podcast. It's the whole family for episode 147. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. Peter, it's episode 147. Number 47 is going to be one of Todd's shitless players. Jake Ryan. E. No. That hits, <laughs> that hits a man. Yeah. One of the 47 linebackers on Todd's defensive squad. Jake Ryan. Well, it, it was Do good I get you. a practice squad? <laughs> you're gonna need I, yeah. You're gonna need you? some your depth chart's gonna be real at linebacker. It's gonna be so like I'm, I'm gonna also need, yeah, I, I need my starting lineup, and then I also need a practice squad. Well, it was going to be Jake Ryan, but then I realized that he would he would be on, he would be on Todd's team, and we'd talk about him at length. Yes, the, in the summer in the summer month. Last week we talked about Hank Greminger was our number forty six defensive back for the Packers in the fifties and sixties, and we're going to talk about a guy this week, Jesse Whittington, who played all of his Packers career in the defensive backfield alongside Hank Greminger. So Jesse Whittington played for the Packers from fifty eight to sixty four, wearing that number forty seven jersey throughout his Packers career attended what was then called Texas Western University, which is now the University of Texas El Paso, UTEP. Was an all-round athlete, played quarterback, defensive back, kicker, was a star hurdler, so just a, just a super athlete, and was drafted by the, the Rams in 1956 and played two seasons for the Rams before he was subsequently traded to the Bears and then released by the Bears prior to the 58 season, picked up by the Packers, became a starting corner in 58 and 59, Broke out in 1960, leading the Packers in interceptions with six. Had a couple of fumble recoveries and was named second team All-Pro in 19 in 1960. 61, when the Packers won the NFL championship. Whittington had an interception in that championship game against the Giants. Had five interceptions that season. So was a first team All-Pro and Pro Bowler in 61. And then through his next three seasons, 62 to 64, he started every game but one at corner. Just missed one game due to injury. Had eight interceptions and three fumble recoveries. And again, earned Pro Bowl honours in 1963. So really good player for those seven years with the Packers. And then opted to retire prior to the 1965 season. So he was only 30. But he was a very keen golfer. And so he purchased a share in a golf club near El Paso turned his sights to his to his second love, golf, and went on to play a little bit on the senior PGA Tour in the 1980s. One of his partners in some of his golfing exploits was Lee Trevino. And a bit like Trevino, apparently, uh, Jesse Whittington liked, was, you know, had a little bit of the gift of the gab and was a great banquet speaker and all of that kind of stuff. So quite a, a neat guy to be around, I, I suspect. I, so he played 88 games for the Packers, started in 83, had 20 interceptions, Played on those two NFL championship teams, 61-62. I was named to Packers 
50th anniversary team of the Packers in 1969, the all-modern era team in 76, and was inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in 1976 in the same Hall of Fame class as Hank Greminger. I got to talk to Raymond Berry, who was the, you know, the Colts Hall of Fame receiver. He told me about Jesse Whittington and told me that he was one of the best corners that he faced. Wow. When Raymond Berry tells you that guy was good, then that's good enough for me. Awesome. Not Jake Ryan. I was going to ask, with the Todd's team, whether he's going to have one to 99. Is he going to have somebody for each number? I like that. Well, yeah. I'm going to have a starting offense, starting defense, and I'm going to have practice squads for both. So, Yeah, a depth chart. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the question then. So so say he's got 10 linebackers for his team, and he's he's got to make final cuts to get the linebackers down to his starters and his and his, you know, his depth chart. If you're cut from Todd's team, is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, it is team? actually. Oh, uh, it means you're not the shittiest player. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a great point. It's the I, I would, opposite. Right. The linebacking crew is deep. Yes, it, it's it is. deep. It is very it's deep. real deep. You're going to have to make some real decisions and yeah, your as your deep. GM role of this team. I will. I'll put it it together. It's going to be spectacular. Yeah. Anybody that plays defense is fair game for Todd's team. Probably White House was probably my biggest. Newhouse. You can't even get his name right. You hate him so much. I know. I hate him so much. (laughs) We're moving on to the slices. So a little college football. The semifinalists were named for the college football playoffs yesterday, Sunday. Florida State, who is undefeated, is not in the final four. The athletic director of Florida State probably was an English major at one point because his statement was really well written. I read it to Marcy because she is an English teacher. It's perfectly written, and I think he's fucking 100% right. You cannot prognosticate who you think are the best four teams. You need to put the teams who have won football games more than any other. Is Alabama better than Florida State? Maybe, but they've lost more games. All the teams who have lost games shouldn't be in there ahead of Florida State in my mind. You're undefeated. There's nothing else you could possibly have done other than maybe blow out teams and have a wider you know, margin of victory. But that's bullshit too. Florida State, in my mind, should be in the Final Four. No questions asked. Undefeated. Power five team in go. I can't disagree with that at all. And I mean, I think the thing that really is strange and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head with this is they're trying to predict what teams are going to play better in the semifinals. And that's not what this is about. No, you know, it should be about what teams did on the, on the football field. And, you know, I guess looking back, this was always potentially going to be an issue, right? When you've got, Five, bizarrely enough, power five conferences and four four semifinalists. It's crazy. Now it gets fixed to a degree next year when they go to a 12-team playoff, but that doesn't help Florida State. It doesn't help their players. It just doesn't feel right. It really just doesn't feel right. No. I mean, what do you tell those players? And I know they're grown men, right? These aren't eight-year-olds playing football, so they're grown men. They've been disappointed in their lives probably before. But still, it's absolute bullshit in my mind. I, I don't like it. It feels like 
not only is it wrong, but it also feels like it's a money grab. It feels like they're kowtowing to the the SEC for lack of a you know of. I just want to be out there and say it directly. They have to have an SEC team in there. I feel like that's what they're doing. The ACC isn't as strong of a conference. It doesn't have the marketing reach that the SEC does. They won't get the ratings because Florida State is not the Florida State of the 80s and 90s that was constantly on TV. I, I think it's just all about money. And I don't like that college sports has become all about money. The whole thing stinks to me. It's got to be about what you do on, on the field. And yes, Alabama beat Georgia this past week, but you're leaping Alabama four places from eight to four, not forgetting that the week before they beat Auburn on Hail Mary at the end of at the end of the game. Else they right. got two losses. It doesn't make any sense. We're moving on from that because now I'm getting angry. <laughs> let's move, let's move on to what we normally talk about, which is nonsense. Here it goes. The Patriots are a really bad football team on the offensive side of the ball. They have kept teams to 10 and under points three weeks in a row, but somehow have not managed to win any of those games. It beggars belief, you know, especially, you know, you keep the charges with that offense to six points. Six to zero. I don't know. They're bad on offense. Yeah. It's, there's no way to say it nicely. Now, Bailey Zappi, I mean, he, he was like a fourth round pick. I don't remember what he was. I apologize for that. I should know. You had some thoughts that he might be an NFL quarterback. Can you look at him now? Now, he hasn't gotten a ton of chances, but, I mean, Mac Jones has a lollipop for a fucking arm. I said that way back. I knew he wasn't going to be a great quarterback because he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. Is Bailey Zappi in that same? So I think his arm's slightly better, but it's, you know, it's not a rocket arm. It's not a Brett Favre arm or a John Elway arm, but I think his arm's slightly better. One thing you would look at with with Bailey Zappi, and he played really well against the Packers last year. Bailey Zappi, when he came in, yeah, in that game of the Packers won in overtime. Whilst he was experienced at the college level, when you look at the, you know, he played at Western Kentucky, and he played at what was Houston Baptist before that. So, so we didn't play at the highest. We've just been talking about the Power Five schools. He didn't play at that level of college football, so it could take some time. But whether whether he's the guy, I don't know. They cle- they clearly don't have enough skill players and big time players on the offense side of the ball. So I think it's difficult to judge individuals. Do they fire Bill Belichick? I don't think they do. Does he walk away? Well, I think that will be the question: is whether him and Robert Kraft come to an agreement. But as an organization, they have to do they have to do something. Uh, San Francisco just beat the brakes off of Philadelphia. That was an interesting game. Did you watch it? I saw probably half of it. So I saw bits and pieces of it. I mean, they really did. I'm not sure that that demonstrates the relative strength of those two teams. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's very much to choose between them. And I think on any given week, that result could be reversed, probably to not that, not that proportion. But, you know, absolutely. If they played next week in Philadelphia, Philadelphia could, could beat the 49ers. No question in my mind. But it's a huge win for the 49ers. Could be very huge when it comes to playoff seedings. At the very least, we knew it anyway, but at the very least, it shows that San Francisco's for real, and they are. Are these two teams better than Dallas? Well, I think they're consistently better than Dallas. Um, Dallas has run up some big numbers against teams this year. If they played a schedule, if you look at Dallas's schedule, it seems to have really played out nicely for Dallas. Not a lot of good teams. 
So you're saying that Philadelphia and San Francisco are consistently better, but in a one-game scenario... So I think if you look at the NFC, I think you've got a tier of two, which is San Francisco and and Philadelphia. And then I think you've got another tier of two, which is Detroit and Dallas. And then I think you've got a tier of about four or five teams below that, which the Packers are in. The likes of Dallas are capable on any given... Sunday of going into say Philadelphia and winning, but I wouldn't expect them to. And the Packers are the seventh seed right now in the playoffs. So they are in the playoffs if the season ended today. I definitely wouldn't have said that three weeks ago. I just thought they'd be looking at draft picks. We're starting to look at who are where are we in the pecking order. People are gonna start doing their mock drafts. Like I thought that's where we were three weeks ago. I mean um, and I think that's fair enough. I mean, I was looking at draft picks. I was trying to work out who the Packers would take with that 32nd pick but yeah <laughs> 32nd pick wow peter the optimist once again the packers claimed david long off waivers today what does that say about jair alexander or does it say nothing i'm not, I'm not sure i mean he's played quite a lot of special teams and i wonder whether they're taking a look at him as a special teams type guy maybe a, a dallin levitt type replacement i don't know i don't know whether it's more about that or whether that's just a group that you know, with Jair Alexander still being hurt, they just wanted to get an extra body in there. I don't think it probably says anything about Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. I mean, hopefully Stokes will be back soon, but we don't we don't know. But I just think that's a group that's just generally been been beaten up. So I think, you know, physically injured but when I say that. I think it's just an, another... Another body. Yeah. Bit of experience, guy that can play special teams, guy that's started 12 games in the... In, in the NFL, so he's bringing that to the table. So, yeah, absolutely. They, they must like him. To bring him straight in off waivers onto the active roster, they must like him. Well, if he played with the Raiders, he's a Rich Passaccia guy. Nice that we play a Monday night game, so maybe we can get Alexander back. More days for Stokes. Savage will be even more healthy. It'll be interesting to see what happens with our secondary going into that game. Injury update, Christian Watson. Oh, my gosh. When he ran that end around and then pulled a, He started grabbing his hamstring before he went down. I thought, oh, here we go. He seems to be all right today. This cannot keep happening to your speed, guys. It can't. But he should be fine. After it happened, when he went to the sideline, he wasn't in the tent. He was standing on the sideline. So I assume he's going to be fine. That seemed to be the kind of early indications after the game as well. So... Let's hope so. So Packers Chiefs, I can't believe it, Peter. I honestly was stunned at the way this game went. Top PFF grades. Jordan Love was spectacular. Outplayed the uh, maybe the best quarterback in the game in Patrick Mahomes. Christian Watson had his best game of the year, I would say. Dontavian Wicks was great. He's got to be the best value pick on the Packer roster right now. Is that what you think also? Because that's where I am. Yep. Yep. Even better than Wooden and Brooks, who have been very good also. Josh Myers and A.J. Dillon had pretty good games, too. I don't want to get too high on these guys because they let us down recently, but they had good games in this game in a big situation where the Packers needed guys to step up. What's good? Yeah, it's kind of like you said last week. They played from in front. And in a way, rather than having quick strike scores, to take the, to take the opening drive and just march it down the field four yards here, six yards here, nine yards here, seven yards here, to do it that way 
is an impressive way, you know, take up half of the first quarter on your opening drive and then get it back and do, pretty much do the same thing a second time. I think that was really, really impressive. You know, Jordan Love was just superb. Like every game, every quarterback has, there's one or two throws that he'd like to have back, but you've got to take the whole thing as a whole meal. It was the best performance that he's had as a Packer, following on from what was previously the best performance he had had as a pack of the previous week so which was better than the previous week which was also a great game yeah 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 i would never in a million years thought that he was going to be this good at this point now is he going to have a stinker this season probably after this i think he might but this stretch of three games i don't think you could expect from a first year starter against the teams we played against lions and chiefs good teams i mean you've just done it against the super bowl champs and their defense that we talked about at length last week that's ranked fourth in the NFL coming into that game. You know, and the whole receiving core was outstanding. Those guys are getting open when when they didn't appear to be getting as open earlier in the season. They're making catches that they weren't making earlier in the season. They're making catches in traffic. You know, the Dobbs catch on fourth and one, Watson's catch, you know, the at the back zone. of the end zone for the touchdown. Yeah. Just spectacular. And then that's counterpointed by the running game. You know, A.J. Dillon, 18 carries, 73 yards. But they were, how can you say it, four yards a carry, but they were a tough, excellent four yards a carry. You know, it was positive yardage. It was picking up the yards when you needed them. It was converting third downs. It was just everything that you'd actually hoped that A.J. Dillon was going to give you. And then you add to that Tucker Craft three catches. Ben Sims caught his first touchdown pass from the tight end spot. Just all-round excellent. You know, those guys were getting open. The scheming, the play calling appeared to be exceptional. I wonder with A.J. Dillon, and I didn't get to go back and watch the condensed version. I really wanted to watch that again. Have they decided, and maybe it's just a couple plays that are stuck in my mind, that they are not going to put a fullback in front of him so he has a more open vision to the hole than he did before. It seemed like the, on some plays that he was very successful, that there was no lead blocker directly in front of him. He was in the pistol for one of them, and he was also like in a deep eye for another when Jordan Love was under center. I wonder if that's a thing that they've realized. Or maybe he went to them and said, hey, I need to be able to see what, I'm, what I can see. I don't know, but A.J. Dillon was really good. Until Aaron Jones comes back and becomes running back number one again, A.J. Dillon has to be that guy, and he was that guy. It goes back to what Todd said actually last week. This is how the Packers are going to beat the Chiefs. This is how the Packers beat the Chiefs. They were able to run it more than 20 times. They were able to keep you know pressure off of Jordan Love, not having to throw the ball every time. A.J. Dillon, as well as Jordan Love played, was the guy for me, even though Jordan Love was spectacular in this game. Had any thoughts? Do you guys talk about the second touchdown pass to Christian Watson? Go ahead. That was that was just mind blowing. Not only the, the the throw, like when I saw that, I was like, "That is what we were expecting out of the two of them." Like that synergy, and, and that catch was just—he can do that, and just the ball placement and everything. It that was just unbelievable. Not you know the first touchdown, he was wide open. I mean, that was just a gimme. But the second was just absolutely spectacular. I thought that was such a great throw. And they were showcasing 
I think Matt LaFleur has somewhat decided that you got to put the ball in in your playmaker's hands and keep going to it over and over. And and they've done, they're they're starting to show signs of like, that's going to be a regular thing with Christian Watson. That second touchdown pass was just stupid looking. The first touchdown pass is the one that was across the middle, right? Yes. If you watch that, I don't remember who was showing this on Twitter today. When Jordan Love lets go of the ball from the all 22 angle, Christian Watson is not in the picture. Two things about that. One, that's how fast Christian fucking Watson is, that he wasn't in the picture and he catches a touchdown pass that he didn't have to die for. And two, that Jordan Love is able to see that. I don't want to say it's a step in his development, but the fact that he was able to see that come open the way he did was, that's awesome. It looks like the two of them are figuring it out. And if they do and they can continue this, that's going to be a scary combination. Let's get on to someone who may make the Todd shit list. And that's John Runyon. (laughs) Done. He's made the team. Confirmed. He'll be right next to Shithouse. Yeah. He will be. John Runyon has not played well. No. But it's every single week. Oh, my God. Chris Jones is going to make you look bad no matter who you are. Right. I mean, Chris Jones is just a a beast. He's a bad man. Almost unblockable. He made Sean Ryan look bad too. He I did. Mean, I mean, and the, I was gonna the say two that. of them could not. No chance. Yeah, there was no chance. No, no matter where that guy lined up, it, there was no chance with that guy. Now, lots of people, including me, were pining for more reps for Sean Ryan. Yeah, but he wasn't any better. Like he was actually just a tick lower than Runyon. So I'm still on the Sean well, Ryan hard. to get some snaps. It's still hard, though. Like If you're looking at stats, especially in the PFF realm, you're looking at Ryan. He, he had seven snaps in this game, and he's been consistently over the past three, four weeks. He's getting like six, six, six. Thirteen, right. seven, yeah. right. I mean, he's getting, he's getting low reps. So, like, did he play well with those reps? Maybe not, but, like. The small sample size, though. It's a small sample size in comparison to, like, Runyon, who's getting, like, 50 or 60 snaps, right? Todd, do you want to comment on Patrick Taylor before I do, or any thoughts on Patrick Taylor in this game? So you put that in the notes. I, I didn't see what you saw. So apparently I am the only one that was screaming at the television to tell fucking Patrick Taylor to go down. Go down, you fucking moron. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. At the end of the game. Yes, it, yes, yes, yes. Patrick Taylor, in that play alone, shows why he's been up and down, up and down, up and down, and will never stay on the Packers roster. That is a boneheaded fucking play. You should know by now. You played in college and high school and in the pros, Patrick. Get down. Fall down on the field. Don't go out of bounds. We're literally trying to kill clock as much as possible. Eh, I'm just going to run out of bounds here. What in the fuck? I yelled so loud at the TV that the dog ran upstairs. He's like, I'm out. I can't take this lunacy anymore. Poor dog. I mean, you would think like a player, you've got to know the situation. Maybe it's something in the huddle. Hey, guys, listen, we're burning clock right now. Ensure that you're in balance. No. They should not have to tell a professional fucking player I know. I know. that we're killing clock. We're winning this game. I know. High school, maybe. Maybe college. You get paid to do this, you jackass. 
he's cut after his three games, right? Doesn't he have I, to stay on the roster for three weeks, Peter? Yeah. He gone. I yeah. cut I cut him. Fuck that guy. I would too. I mean, a definite insight into why he's not a professional football player. A regular on the 53. Let's move on to defense. So Darnell Savage comes back and he plays pretty well, according to PFF. Lights up. 85 score. That's a really nice number. J.J. Inigbari, 78.5. Keyshawn Nixon, zero fucks, playing well still. And that play we'll talk about down the, you know, a little bit later on. Man, I love that guy. And then it kind of falls off, honestly, because Kenny Clark had a 65 grade. That's not really great. No. And Carrington Valentine, 64.9. Also not really great, but those are your top five guys on defense. Ken, Kenny Clark might have gotten that 65 with just his sack. Might have raised his score enough to actually right. have a good yeah. good game. Yeah. yeah. Without that sack, he might not have had a 65. Peter, let's start with you. Good on defense. They held the Chiefs to 19 points, which, you know, when you're holding the Patrick Mahomes to 19 points is a, is a good performance. And, you know, they held Mahomes to 210 yards and 79.1 parcel rating. So against the pass, they were very, very good. And that thing about holding teams to, you know, around 20 points or whatever, it obviously is 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 crucial. Yeah, against the pass, I thought they were really, really good. Chad, thoughts? I, I think they mentioned something in, in the broadcast. Like, it was like one of the quickest halves in the season. But, yeah, I mean, holding the Chiefs to 19 points, I mean, that, that's kind of been the, the threshold that we're, we've been holding teams to. If we can hold, and now the offense is catching up to scoring more than 20 points. It's great. I, mean, I know that you have three three sacks on there, but like PFF had five. Half sacks, it, I think, yeah. Okay. I don't think the Chiefs are the Chiefs of last year. I mean, you can kind of see it. They're, they're starting to wear down. They're not as dangerous as they were before. Travis Kelsey seems to get, get open, like wide open. But he had no catches or, or targets even, even in the fourth quarter. They were disrupting things enough. And red zone-wise-ish, the defense held – at key moments in, in this game in, in in order to like be effective. And my guy, Keyshawn Nixon, that play on the ball. Oh man. They interviewed him and he said that he saw on film that when Mahomes touches his knee and they're in this alignment, this is what they're going to run. He ran the route for Sky he Moore. He did. A defensive back is backwards. But he knew exactly right. so, where yeah. that ball was going. Right. He caught that ball in stride like he was a wide receiver on that play. Keyshawn Nixon is going to be a better player. And hopefully Valentine and Valentine and all the young guys that are around that group become better because they see what Keyshawn Nixon just did in this game and is doing in the DB room. I mean, he went from just being a kick returner to being a guy who you want on your defense in the slot. What about the bat on defense? Peter? Again, they gave up nearly 150 yards rushing. We kind of alluded to the fact that we thought they would give up some yardage on the ground this week. I think the fortunate thing, not the fortunate thing, but the good thing is you can give up more yardage on the ground when you're playing from ahead. But it's still something they've got to fix because it's, it's quite a common theme, not every week, but you know they had a couple of really good weeks against the run, but for quite a lot of weeks, I would say that that's been the weak point on, on the defense, and it certainly was this week. Todd, what else on defense can we improve on? Devondre Campbell, man, was he bad in this game? 
He's almost non-existent. Having Isaiah McDuffie in there or Campbell, there's not much the same difference. guy. Yeah, it, it, there's not much difference. Man, Devondre Campbell was, he was terrible in this game. I mean, he was targeted four times, all four completions for over 43 yards. I think it was 43 yards or something like that. But the expectation with him is that he should be making some plays. And you're just not seeing that at all. So I did not want to get into a Twitter beef with anybody today, but I see a lot of people saying like, where are the Joe Barry haters at today? I'm right fucking here. I do not understand Same. Same. why you think that Joe Barry has all of a sudden improved when the Packers are giving up big chunks of yards. They're not doing anything different. Now they put pressure on the quarterback. I'll give them that. And like Peter said three minutes ago, they played the pass pretty well. I do understand that there's no Jair Alexander. There's no Eric Stokes. This isn't a very good defense. This is the offense covering up for a not very good defense. You go out ahead of teams. They can't do the things that they want to do. We're not talking about Earl Campbell or Derrick Henry or Barry Sanders. We're talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire or whatever the fuck his name is. And a seventh round pick out of Rutgers running for almost 150 yards against your defense when they're behind in the entire game. I'm still on the Joe Barry fired at the end of the season bandwagon. There's a myth beginning to grow. And you're right. I saw a lot of it on Twitter today. There's a myth beginning to grow about keeping teams to 19, 20 points. It's not real. The teams the Packers are playing are playing on the fourth longest field, right? So the average field position that the offense is taking over, the other team's offense is taking over, is the fourth longest in the NFL, right? And a lot of that's driven by your guy, Dan Whelan, with his excellent punning, forcing teams back, starting their possessions deeper in their own territory. There's a whole lot of factors going on here, none of which... I think, necessarily being accurately reflected. When you get Jair back, you get Stokes back, you get some guys healthy and you get on a roll, then you might have something. But right now, I still think this isn't a good defense. I guess my question would be, like, once Stokes does come back, like, how does how does the rotation... What does it look like? Yeah, what does all that look like? Because now you've got players stepping up, like Valentine and... Uh, it gives Stokes a chance to not have to go 70 snaps in a game. Oh, that's true. That's true. You bring, you know, you can ease him back in because Ballantyne wasn't disgustingly bad, and they you play mean, a bad. You mean you won't ease week. him back in on special teams? Oh fuck no! He never sniffs special teams. In fact, I put him in the tunnel until they're done. Well, that's yeah, what he did, smokes. and that's how he got hurt. Hurt. I know, man. Not on Dale's team, they don't. <clears throat> what else? Let's get to the ugly. I'm trying not to labor a point because the network seems to be doing a good job of laboring. Yeah, they did. <laughs> fuck NBC. <laughs> Laboring that point. Um, right, they're never called on Hail Marys. Never. Right? So the next time you see a flag thrown on a Hail Mary will be the first time you've seen a flag thrown on Right, so they're never called. I, I guess my just thing was just don't give them the opportunity. Right, because right. don't you feel like that's coming back to bite the Packers at some point on a Hail Mary? I didn't think it was that egregious, though. No. Honestly, I thought no. it was like jostling for position. They're like, oh, he put both hands on his back. Everybody people, who is behind are, a player has two hands on their back. The only reason that got attention, not the previous play, but the play before that, with the pass inter, the no, no call of pass interference on Valentine, which 
clearly was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he climbed on his back. <laughs> yeah. It was a textbook pass interference play. Now, was it a makeup call for yeah. the late, late hit uh, out of bounds with Mahomes? And if so, then, then so be it. And I immediately put on Twitter that MVS wasn't going to catch that ball anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Non-catchable pass. That's anyway, right. It's right? not a catchable ball. Even if it's a slip right through his hands. I do think, and Kurt Becker too also, I mean, not that he's the expert on anything, but he also said that he thought it was a makeup call for the Mahomes personal foul. Right. They didn't say well, shit about that yeah. after the game if you kept the game on or kept the broadcast on afterwards but they did go to their rules guy how about that the packers beat detroit on thanksgiving and i'm not i don't give a shit about the turkey leg thing but no turkey leg because i believe that fox had no they never thought the packers were going to win that game i think that's why it happened and then this game they beat the chiefs and we're talking about the non-penalties we're not talking about how well the packers played and they beat the world champs they put the rules guy on immediately after and they start talking about how this was a penalty and this was a penalty. Of course, because uh-huh. Dale's an asshole, he tweets right at Sunday Night Football on NBC. Now do the personal foul one. Fucking dicks. For me, there were three calls the other way. So the personal foul one, obviously, was never a personal. It was still in bounds. Yes. So, so Right, so that's even worse. It was called a late hit in bounds, right? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> right. What? And uh, so, so I'd questioned something else about about that, and I, I would need to go back and look at it. He got out of bounds and the clock stopped, right, because he got out of bounds and it was a penalty. But I'm not sure he wasn't knocked out of bounds backwards, in which case well, the clock should have kept, kept running. And then clearly on the one on the on this sideline late in the fourth quarter when, I can't remember, was that MVS that caught it and got out of bounds? Went backwards to go out of bounds. The clock should have continued to run there. He was driven out of bounds backwards, about three mm-hmm. yards, and and the stop, the clock stopped. It should have continued to wind forward progress. And the one that nobody's talking about, the play where there was a fumble that was called back. It wasn't a fumble that the Packers returned for a touchdown, and then Pacheco got thrown out of the game for the punch yeah. that he threw on that play. That Pacheco's penalty, in essence, stopped the clock, right? Because they reset the clock back to fifty seconds. After that place, they put 10 seconds back on because of the Packers run back that was called back. But you can't have a penalty that stops the clock when you don't have any timeouts left. So, so they that should have had a runoff. They should have had a 10 second runoff and the clock should have started on the ref- on the referee's ready signal as well. So they, they put the clock to 50 seconds. It should have been 40 seconds and should have continued to run. Because in essence, you've caused a penalty that's to stop the clock when you don't have any timeouts left. Right. Otherwise, you could throw a punch on every play and stop the clock. Right. You might absolutely. be moving backwards, but you'd still Abs- stop the clock. Ab- absolutely. You know, I'm not blaming the officials at all. Right. The officials call what they see at the time that they at the time that they see it. What annoyed me was then, as we've talked about, this whole focus on the one or two plays one way for the Chiefs. So let's talk about the plays that got us to that point in the first place and they didn't want to talk about those and that that really annoyed me all of this could have been avoided if jonathan owens you know at that stage of the game i know he's trying to make a play i get it but it's clear that mahomes is going out of bounds you don't even need to hit him and i get like you don't want to tell defensive players to kind of hold off but 
at that stage in the game, man, I mean, why take the chance? You're not going to gain anything by by hitting Mahomes out of bounds. Maybe you injure him. He's not going to fumble it or anything like that. So, like, what do you really gain by, like, knocking him out of bounds at that point? He's clearly running out of bounds. So, if Jonathan Owens, like, thinks in his head, like, I'm just going to tap him out because, like, I don't want to risk a penalty because it's late in the game and I don't want to get a 15-yard penalty. We're not talking about any of this. What down was it? Do you know what down it was when uh, Mahomes ran? I don't know. I don't either. I'm asking because I don't know. Hate to, like, criticize him for that. I, I really do because it was a bad call. It, I hear it was what you're a bad saying. Call. Middle of the game, different situation, blah, blah, blah. But we're trying to close this fucking thing out. Let's not make the referees decide this game for us but on, on close calls. I mean, you know Mahomes is going out. He's a multiple MVP. He's getting like, that call. He, he, he's getting that call on you. You're nobody, Jonathan Owens. And if you, you tap him out of bounds like that and he goes flying into the fucking bench, guess what? It's going to be 15 fucking yards every single time. He was trying to stop him from getting a first down, though, also, because it was right at that line. It was a football play. Let's just stop talking about it. Let's let's move on to the special teams. So, first of all, Lucas, welcome to the Average Cheese. We have a new listener who suggested that we should start calling Anders Carlson the Swedish Hammer. The name. I kind of like it, actually. If Anders Carlson was smashing balls through the end zone on kickoffs, if he starts to do that, I will call him the Swedish Hammer. Is he I don't even know. If, I don't even know if he's Swedish. But I fucking love the name. I don't think so, that he is. <laughs> so well, let's start. Let's start there. So let's say he is. Let's say that Lucas has researched Anders Carlson's background. He's got his uh, ancestry.com profile up, and he knows that he's from Sweden. But he's more like the Swedish rubber mallet at this point than the Swedish hammer. He's not quite there yet. I dare say he might be the Swedish meatball. So until he starts doing things right, I'm calling him the Swedish meatball. And then he can be the Swedish hammer later. But he did make the kick. He did make the kick. I was nervous. No kidding. I was very, very, very nervous on that kick. When Love got sacked, I thought, oh, here we go. I know. Making it a longer kick than it has to be. But the Swedish meatball came through and made the kick. And it was all fine. The Swedish hammer. The Swedish meatball. Hmm. <laughs> I don't think he's anywhere near Swedish, but okay. I mean, <laughs> let's identify his ethnicity first before we start saying Swedish or whatever. That's probably true. I should not just assume that. I mean, Anders feels, never mind. Anyway, he did his job. Anders Carlson did his job this week. The end. Any Anders Carlson talk before we move on to my guy? and you hit those field goals smack down the middle as well yes none of those that looked like they were gonna not were gonna shanking make. it in like hooking it in like a golfer from one side to the other right down the, the middle the, the sad thing for me is that every time i see anders carlson go out there all i can see is todd's face <laughs> <laughs> what's that movie where the guy gets real mad and turns red it's like a disney cartoon todd's already like starting the ball flight, I think, is like what irritates me the most. Some incredibly bad misses, but like it's the ball flight that just looks off. But in this game, right down I'll the take middle. It. I'll take right. it. I hope that it's a technique thing that he's starting to figure out. Because I want him to be good. I want to call him by Same. his I do too. His origin. 
Um, yeah. Let's find that out. I also want to know whether the new listener, Lucas, is Lucas Van Ness. Could be. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, Lucas, we all the bad things we said about you, Lucas Van Ness, we didn't mean none of them. He had a sack in this game. <laughs> he did. It was nice to see. Todd should have his own Twitter thing, so I can just tweet at him too, and you, Peter, when Zero Fucks runs it for more than 24 yards on a kickoff. <laughs> Every time, he averaged 30 yards per kickoff return. He did. It, that's another thing that just gets me like... He's going to break one, France. It's going to happen. I, I think so, yeah. I, I think before the season's over, I, I, do, I do think he breaks one. I do. As much as I've criticized him taking balls out from... 108 yards. And the last thing on special teams, Peter, you said this before. Daniel Whelan didn't have a great game. He only averaged 38 yards per punt in this game, but it wasn't – he didn't have the field to kick it to, right? Both of his punts inside the 20, creating a long field. We found something in that guy, and I know I, I'm like the fanboy of Daniel Whelan, but – Absolutely. We got anything else before we go? No? All right. Thanks for listening to episode 147 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Jesse Whittington episode. Go, Pat, go. Go, Pat, go. Pat, go.